0: Today's episode of the NFL show is brought to you by State Farm. When you need a game plan for protection, State Farm agents are here to help. With personalized service, agents are available to talk in person, over text, or through the State Farm app. So go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. Find an agent in your neighborhood today. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. It's the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Joining me, a crossover episode from the Danacy Podcast, Danny Heifetz. How are you doing, Danny? I'm fantastic. Thrilled to be here. How are you, Kevin? I'm great. Robert Mays had technical difficulties, but Danny, there's a lot to talk about. The Rams and the Chiefs around this time last year gave us... One of the best offensive games we've ever seen. It, you know, it was the future of football. It was a Monday night game. We were just going to talk about it for the rest of our lives. That game did not carry over in the way we thought for the last 11 months. But we saw that game again in 49 ers Saints in New Orleans on Sunday. In the 10 a.m. window, it wasn't primetime, so it wasn't on everybody's television. You couldn't even get it in Los Angeles over regular cable because it was blocked out. But this was the game... We were waiting for first impression standing.
1: I actually think in a way that this game was more impressive to me than the Rams Chiefs because mm. this game didn't have like 12,000 turnovers, whereas that Rams Chiefs game was the highs were higher, but the valleys were way lower. This game was incredible because I thought this was the best
0: coach football game. I've yeah. a regular season game I've ever seen. Yes, I agree with that. And so this was the, one of the things Robert and I have talked about a lot offline online, the whole deal is how excited we were to see Kyle Shanahan be the head coach of a really relevant team this late in the season. This is what we were waiting for. This is his creativity on a grand scale against Sean Payton, who is as good an offensive head coach as there is in the history of football. It was un. Believable. This was, you know, it's funny to me when everybody said that the Chiefs-Rams game was the future of football. That was right, but it was the future of good football. This is the way everything is trending. It's not going to happen next year. There's still going to be 13 to 12 games. The Super Bowl might still be the Patriots winning 13 to 3 like it was last year. But this, there are more... Kyle Shanahan and Sean Payton's in the pipeline that will exist in 10, 15 years, then there are great defensive coaches like Bill Belichick or Mike Tomlin who are coming up, or Pete Carroll who are coming up and will have have that background and will be head coaches in five or 10 years, right? This is the future of good football. A Couple stats here that just blew my mind. First of all, Ben Fox and ESPN had this. This was the over-under was 45 and a half. <laughs> yeah. Both teams went over that. Both teams hit the over by themselves. The last time that had happened, Week 7 of 2008, when Chicago played Minnesota. Where were you in 2008, Danny Heifetz? Uh, middle school. Okay, this is upsetting. Let's move on. So, <laughs> I, this did this do anything for you? Obviously, I think there's a lot of chatter about this game being an NFC championship preview. Did this do anything from your perspective, to change how you feel about either of these teams, whether one of them is more of a contender than you thought. How do you feel about the the, the Saints and the 49ers as contenders after that game? Yeah, no, I
1: think that just like the Rams-Saints last year was the NFC Championship game preview, I left this game being like I no longer have any doubts that this is the NFC championship game favorite. I'm no longer pretending that the Seahawks can contain. I know the six beat the 49ers no longer worried. The Seahawks can beat the 49ers in the playoffs. I really feel like they're complete and I'm not really worried about the Packers anymore. These are the two best teams. And I, it it was so clear throughout. I mean, you mentioned the halftime thing, a a number that really blew my mind for this one in halftime one, the saints scored 27 points, which was tied for the most the Niners have allowed all season. Yeah. And they did that in the first half. And it wasn't enough to have the halftime lead because the 49ers averaged 14 and a half yards per play in the first half. And the number that stuck out to me, though, was that both Garoppolo and Drew Brees were perfect on passes. Or sorry, on plays that they had four-man rushes coming against them. Yeah. And I think if there's one thing that's really a sign of good coaching is that if there's not pass pressure coming at you, they're just moving like machines. And I think that's the coaching savantness you're getting from both Kyle Sheehan and Sean McVay is or, uh, Sean Payton. And what we used to have from McVay and Reed last year is that no, McVay's back, it's... baby.
0: We're getting that later. McVay is back, but keep going.
1: <laughs> the machinery with which these teams are moving and the efficiency, like on the last drive, the Saints, Richard Sherman left for yeah. he pulled up um, with an injury and then mm-hmm. the Saints just ruthlessly moved the ball. I think Ted Girton wasn't covered around the. Uh, along the sideline and he moved. And the second that there was even a little bit of a weakness, the saints just moved and just right there and just got in the end zone. And it was so quick. And it just, just cause there were so many points really disguised
0: the fact that these are two really good defenses. Yeah. That was the thing that made this different from last year's Rams chiefs game. Is it, these are, especially on the Niners side, this was a, a defense we were putting up there with the Patriots earlier in the season. Um, the defensive coaching staff has gotten so much praise, rightfully so but this wasn't the Chief's defensive last year. This was not a team that was used to giving up this many points. So I think that was really interesting to me. I also think, listen, we had the George Kittle moment now. We know what if if you didn't know how good George Kittle was, I'm not sure why anybody listening to this podcast knows football enough to know how good George Kittle was. But if you needed the eye test, you need to see a marquee moment, whatever it was, he basically, I mean, he just, he was wearing a backpack of Saints players down the field. It was unbelievable. He looked like a bull, like a bucking bronco. He looked like a bull, like, like trying to buck someone. Yep. Kyle Shannon was talking after the game about how many plays he had ready to go. And then, George Kittle just, just, screw it we're just gonna get we're just gonna do it live we'll do it live they and, and it gets what uh, essentially into field goal range he gets the face mask the face mask lasted about 40 seconds <laughs> that was the visual proof of how frustrating it is to tackle George Kittle in the sense that Marcus Williams couldn't do it no one could do it and then it's like you know what let's just hold on to his face mask for a while even though that's 15 extra yards in crunch time on your own half of the field. I mean, that was unbelievable. Don't let it be
1: lost that Marcus Williams is the guy who gave up the Minneapolis miracle. I, there's oh, a certain I didn't want to say that. And just being real, like I imagine that he'd be like, I should have just grabbed his goddamn face yeah. mask and yeah. Stephon Diggs. And like, it kind of, look, I don't blame him. Like how many safeties think that they can tackle George Kittle one-on-one in that situation? And it, that's a tough thing to do. But Kittle, I mean, you mentioned this. He's the best tight end in football. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's been a debate. Is it him or Travis Kelsey? The fact of the matter is Kittle is, as good of a blocker as almost any tight end, and he's as good of a receiver as Travis Kelsey. He leads the whole league in yards per rat run in Pro Football Focus. He's the highest graded player in Pro Football Focus. Period. And that play, though, he's just this—he's impossible to bring down. Yeah. I—that I, I, was—that should be the new logo for the NFL. It should be like Jared well, West. I the will Facebook's. say
0: the Kelsey debate is interesting now because I think Kelsey's just a full-time quarterback, which we found out <laughs> earlier today. But we'll, again, we will get to all of this. I thought this was really interesting. Uh, Stats LLC had this. The 49ers are the second team in NFL history to allow 46 points on the road and win. The Broncos in 2013 did that. By the way, that Broncos team was one of the best offenses in the history of the sport. Had Peyton Manning throwing a touchdown in every other play. Okay, Here's what that tells me. The 49ers can win these types of games. And that's the most important thing. When I asked you if this changed anything about the contention of either of these teams, I think the 49ers going on the road and winning this type of game is one of the most impressive things I have seen from any team this season. When you couple that with the very strange stinker That the Seahawks had on Sunday night and these games happen. It's such a random league every week. We say, oh, you can't overreact to one week or whatever, but I'm overreacting to the 49ers performance, which was unbelievable against a well coached team against a very talented team to do that and play that kind of game when I didn't know if they had that in them is one of the best statements any team has made this year. I knew the saints were capable of winning this type of game. We've seen this so many times with Peyton and breeze and even this era of saints football, we've seen so many impressive performances. This was the saints marquee moment, or excuse me, this was the 49ers marquee moment for this year. And I think that that's going to be able to carry over into January. Now the schedule as you, as we talked about, Seahawks lose this game. That is huge for the number one seed, or the bye at least, the NFC West. The 49ers have the Falcons next week, then the Rams and the Seahawks on, on December 29th. That is one of the games of the season in Week 17, as long as there's something for the Seahawks to still play for as far as the division goes. The Saints have the Colts, the Titans, and the Panthers. Obviously, the division is not a concern for them. They're going to be fine, uh, but from a bye standpoint, they have a 61% chance going in 538. Sam's goes against 64%. And Seattle now goes down to 35%. So this was a big, big Sunday for playoff scenarios. And yeah, amazing game. I was just blown away. Yep. So let's move on to our first stock up. And it is a team who also won an impressive road game today against another really good coach. And it's the Kansas City Chiefs. You wrote a blog on the ringer.com about this. What were your initial impressions of this game? And what did you learn that you didn't know on Sunday morning?
1: Whew. Uh, that the referees can actually yeah. give the wrong penalty yardage. Yeah, that was, that was, that illegal. was special.
0: <laughs> I f- can I will say this. I feel like there's been a lot of talk about statements you can make this year and, and really, you know, how to announce yourself. And I think there's been so much. The bar is so high to be a bad refereeing performance in 2019. Oh, this pass interference call was was thrown and then it wasn't overturned and XYZ, all these things. But to actually not mark off the correct penalty yardage, that's that's how you stand out in a very crowded bad refereeing field, field in 2019. I'm hesitant to, like, lambast
1: the referees because... It's a really tough time for Uh, any sport. We can lambast here. Having said that, this game did no favors for anybody involved because Patriots fans absurd. Paranoia that the league in the world is out to get them and the referees are the conduit of Roger Goodell trying to harm their legacy. This game actually gave them fuel and now it's going to fuel their conspiracy theories on Reddit for like the next 10 years because As much as the Patriots looked like trash fire for most of this contest, they almost won this game. And that's the the dueling. My, My two takeaways were, wow, the Pats have now the only team that is going to make the AFC playoffs, maybe even could make the playoffs. The Patriots have beat convincingly is the Steelers in week one. They have lost to the Texans. They lost to the Chiefs. The Texans game wasn't that close. They got crushed by the Ravens and they almost lost to the Bills. They came really close. So now you're on the other hand, they were five yards from tying this game. And if they were given those four points that they were kind of cost, they were five yards from winning this game in regulation. So really yeah. weird. I really weird.
0: Very 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 weird. And it's hard. It's hard to draw too many conclusions because of how strange the refereeing in this game was, but I, I really like Jeff Howe's piece uh, on TheAthletic.com where he talks about how essentially, yes, the refs were terrible, but the Patriots need to be put in better positions to win these sort of games. They should be winning these types of games. Patrick Mahomes becomes the youngest player to ever quarterback, to ever go into Foxborough and win a game. Before, Before this...
1: The 21-game winning streak.
0: right? right exactly, in, in Foxborough, but at 24 years old, Mahomes is the youngest quarterback to ever go into Foxborough. They had been 29-0 and 0 against quarterbacks under the age of 25 since 2001, which is the, the Brady Belichick era. And as you said, 21-game <laughs> winning streak at home comes to an end. They normally completely destroy young quarterbacks. The problem with this era is... Well, first of all, right now, they don't have the offense they've ever had. But beyond that, there's just really, really good young quarterbacks. And I'm quite frankly surprised that it hasn't happened before. Mahomes obviously put up a lot of points last year in Foxborough in that regular season game. Didn't win that game, but now they do. Again, this was a strange game. They they should have had just about enough offense to win. It should have been a classic Patriots win where we're kind of just saying, what the hell was that? How'd they do this? Instead, it's a very nice win for Kansas City. What it does essentially... I mean, if you're just looking for a bottom line, it basically tells you that Baltimore is going to get the one seed and that that's pretty much it. The one thing that was interesting
1: to me here was that the chiefs, I mean, look, shout out Steve Spagnuolo, who was the defensive coordinator for the giants when they beat the 18 and O now 18 to one, New England Patriots in 2007. And mm-hmm. what was interesting to me was that they kind of did two things, not to oversimplify, but they either blitz the shit out of Tom Brady or they doubled Julian Edelman on every play. And there was very little breakage from that. I think they actually doubled James White in a couple plays. Um, and they, they really, really, really let those young receivers like Myers and Nikhil and guys, they really let them like just try to beat one-on-one. And like yeah, it's like Bashad Breland and Kansas City's like lesser heralded guys. Uh, Kendall Fuller's great, but the, you know other than him and Tyron Matthew, it's not a great secondary, but they've been playing better. And it really works because Tom Brady is throwing. He entered this week with 30 throwaways under pressure, according to Pro Football Focus. It's by far the most in the league. And just he's throwing the ball away more often because he's old, doesn't want to get hit. And it's working like like the his internal clock is kind of lower than it's ever been in his career to get the ball out of his hands. And the blitzing's really effective. And the way to beat that is you have your receivers to get open early quick, which is a lot of times kind of means you have to know where to go. It's the blitzing is actually more effective. Like for so long, it's been, well, you, you can't blitz Brady because it won't work because he's too smart. He's not really surrounded by people who are capable of getting open quick enough that you kind of can blitz Tom Brady again.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good point. I think that you know blitzing Brady becomes very horror movie kind of. Let's not go not let's not go back to the late kind of thing. But uh, it's it's a very interesting time to watch Patriots offense. And uh, again, this we've said this fifty times on this podcast that all whether it's Mahomes, Jackson, whatever the Patriots season will come down to three or four. Huge third downs, fourth downs against those quarterbacks. And I'm, I'm withholding judgment on the entire franchise until I see those plays on January 13th or January 20th or, or whenever those two teams meet. I think it's really interesting that, the, the, with the one seed basically gone, the Chiefs, barring some sort of collapse or, or the Texans jumping them, even though the Texans have the tiebreaker, uh, these two teams will meet in the divisional round. And I think it's going to be one of the best playoff games, uh, you know. In years. I mean, the last game was two, so we'll see. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. This holiday season, immerse yourself in all your favorite holiday classics with a new home theater system from Sonos. Enjoy speech enhancement mode, a unique feature that clarifies the sound of the human voice, perfect for when characters whisper or the action intensifies. Turn it on in the Sonos app and never miss a moment of the story. Plus, play carols and more when the TV is off. Hosting family and friends, Sonos works with all your streaming services. And control is simple with the app, Apple Airplay 2, and your voice using Amazon Alexa or the Google Assistant. You can also wirelessly connect all your speakers to create your perfect sound system. We've got it in our house. We love it. It is the perfect compliment to any movie whether that's action whether it's a rom-com whether it's a holiday movie it is a great addition to our home theater setup i would give it as a gift to anybody i would take it as a gift from everybody i would put it with every tv i have i'm I'm in on this thing so go to sonos.com to learn more and complete your holiday shopping all right next stock up tennessee titans they found a quarterback, Danny Heifetz. Let's talk about it. The one is it any shock that the year everyone gave up on Ryan Tanhill
1: finally breaking out is the year that he broke out? Or just need to get away from
0: Adam Gase? Oh, wow. Great question. So you have the change of scenery angle, which I'm always into a quarterback change of scenery angle. Even though it never seems to work, I can just I'll just buy into it all the time. He gets away from Adam Gase, as we discussed. And again, health was such a big thing for him. He was on the sidelines all the time. And I think that him being healthy, it's funny that he replaced Marcus Mariota, who who also could not get healthy, because maybe one day Marcus Mariota will do this for another team next year. Hopefully hopefully he does. I, 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 we all want to see Marcus Mariota thrive. But Ryan Tannehill is healthy, and the Titans' offense is really, really good. From a team-building standpoint, this is a triumph. Essentially, John Robinson, the Titans' GM, got Tannehill in a pick swap, basically a fourth for a sixth in different years. And Tannehill is making around $2 million for the Titans, which is basically what the Cardinals paid Brett Hundley. It's what the Raiders paid Mike Glennon. And the Dolphins are picking up $18 million of that against the cap. This is a masterful, masterful team-building job, and I'm hugely impressed by it. You, you, we're not even going to go into just the roster-building decisions of getting guys like A.J. Brown, who, who beasted today. I mean, John Robinson is on my short list. He's not going to get it, but he's in, a, he's in a discussion here if the Titans make the playoffs for executive of the year. Um, the Titans' offense is just humming 31 points per game since Tannehill was named the starter. On Sunday against the Raiders, they averaged 9.3 yards per play, which is the highest of any team this season. I mean, this, was, this is a good football team. And whether or not they can make any noise in the playoffs in a stacked AFC is kind of besides the point. They're not there yet. But this was an impressive, good football team who, if I'm, if I'm a, a, a buy team right now, I'm getting 10% more scared about the Titans than I was three weeks ago.
1: The most impressive thing about John Robinson to me is that not every GM would stand by an employee growing a porn mustache from the 70s like Mike Vrabel has. (laughs) But John Robinson's like, you know what? No, you're going to let you be you. But no, I will say the Titans offense, when you really dig into the numbers, they're absolutely mind-blowing. Like the Ryan Tannehill stuff's not hype. Like he entered, he he started, no, but he became the starter in week seven. And since week seven, uh, entering this week, so before the 42 points that dropped today, the Titans were third in points per game second in rushing yards per attempt, number one in yards per play. Number one in yards per play, the Tennessee Titans with Ryan Tannehill since week seven.
0: All right, so here's the anywhere from a million-dollar question to a $60 million question. Diana Rossini of ESPN reports that they're talking contract. What do you do with someone like Ryan Tannehill right now?
1: Well, I mean, so the baseline in any negotiation like this, if you're Tannehill now, is the franchise tag, right? So that's going to be, we'll call it, what, $30 million? Yeah, so, something like that. 33, I think. Yeah. So it's, I feel like a two year deal, you guarantee some of it. I mean, look, he's been, I would say that you kind of have to keep him because he's become the leader of this team. Well, Right now, the AFC playoff picture is really seven teams. Like, we're going to ignore the Colts and Raiders. They might mm-hmm. as well not, and the Browns, they might as well not exist. There's really seven teams competing for six chairs, five of which, we, unless the Bills collapse, it's really the Steelers and the Titans for the last spot. The Titans are playing well. I mean, the Titans might win the AFC South. If the Titans make the playoffs with this Tannehill playoff push, there is a certain intangible quality to the quarterback becoming the true leader of a team in a locker room. Tannehill has absolutely unequivocally earned that in Tennessee. If you listen to the way these guys talk about him, he is the guy. And like, you know, they all like Marcus Mariota, but I mean, this is the best stretch the Titans have had in years. And you can't let him go. You kind of have, I would give him maybe a short term deal, but you have to keep Daniel.
0: Because the quarterback position is so unique, there are no real sleepers like this who pop out of nowhere and exceed expectations in this type of way. We've seen it for four or five, six game spurts, but it's actually quite rare. I'm trying to rack my brain because the one thing that I keep coming back to and I'm not saying it's going to be the same career path or very different players but as far as just a mid-career hot streak that way exceeds expectations and then they sign a a contract based on that reminds me a little bit of the 2011 Ryan Fitzpatrick deal I was yes I was going to say
1: Ryan Fitzpatrick where
0: it's like what do we do with Ryan Fitzpatrick and the answer in that scenario was six years 59 million 10 million dollar signing bonus that was 2011 so he was 29 at that point And so it was just a little bit, again, I'm not, they're they're very different players, but as far as the sort of mid-career jump, it is in that ballpark. The exact
1: difference between them is that Ryan Tannehill runs the way Ryan Fitzpatrick thinks he runs. Okay. Ryan Tannehill, when he makes that amazing form tackle on Maurice Hurst to bring him down, Ryan Fitzpatrick thinks he can do that. Every time Ryan Fitzpatrick That was an shoulder, amazing
0: tackle. That was an amazing tackle. Ryan Tannehill is on my short list. As you know, I'm sure, Danny, for the first, I don't know, decade, two decades, maybe longer, they had, uh, football was, was both ways. It was like soccer. You, if you played running back, you also played linebacker, etc. And I think that Ryan Tannehill is, is now in the discussion for a valuable two year two way player who can not only throw, not only run, but he can tackle.
1: So what do you think about the Titans in terms of they were trying to build Patriots South? And then the Detroit was trying to build Patriots Midwest and the Texans are trying to build Patriots Texas. Yeah. And then suddenly those are the I mean the Texans and the Titans are at the top of the AFC South and they're probably both going to make the playoffs. So What do you kind of make of the Belichick coaching tree being slightly better than it would have been like two years ago?
0: I think there's a huge difference between the personnel folks and the coaching folks because there have been a lot of failures on the coaching side. We've seen that over and over again. The personnel part of it is very interesting to me because John Robinson is a good GM. Bill O'Brien, who the heck knows what's going on as far as personnel goes and, and what decisions he's actually making, what decisions he has made. Et cetera. Let's put that off to the side for a second. Thomas Dimitrov has built, despite obviously some struggles, not only this year, but last year, he has built legitimately great team uh, teams uh, when you consider that they went to the Super Bowl um, NFC Championship game. That whole deal should have won a Super Bowl. Let's put that aside. So I think that it's hard. I reported a story in August about this and kind of why no one can replicate the Patriot way. And the answer is they don't really try. And John Robinson didn't necessarily try because if you just look at his signings, he's signing people like Deion Lewis for for real money. He's signing uh, Malcolm Butler for real money. And the Patriots let those guys go. And they did it for a reason. I think it was interesting to me when Trey Flowers becomes the Detroit Trey Flowers becomes a free agent, not the Seattle one, that there were two Patriot way guys Brian Flores and Bob Quinn who were bidding for him in huge money and the Patriots said that's too rich for us we'll get pass rush elsewhere and so what's interesting to me is is just the different approaches these guys take no one wants to take the approach of we're going to be the Patriots because they all acknowledge up front they just don't have Bill Belichick. They cannot play the long game like that. They cannot put the guys in the best position to succeed like Belichick can. They can do good work and they can have good game plans and all that stuff, but they can't have that flexibility. You know, The other thing with Belichick is he has so much juice not only inside that building, but with the fan base, et cetera, he can do things like the Chandler Jones thing is a good example, right? Or the Jamie Collins thing is a good example. The Jamie Collins thing is the, the these guys, example. These guys are at the height of their talent and Belichick says they're out of here and they get good value for them. And Jamie Collins case, you get him back after he makes 20 plus million dollars and he's on a minimum deal and he's playing like a defensive player of the year candidate. But if, if Bob Quinn right now, even though he traded quadra Digs, We'll get to that later. But if Bob Quinn were like, I'm trading Darius Slay right now for a second round pick, if he did that in September, there'd be a revolt. He might lose his job. And I don't, I just think that it's really hard to be Bill Belichick. And so John Robinson's, one of his best traits is not trying to be.
1: That's really well put. I mean, there's, If there's 10,000 iterations of the Patriots being down 28-3 to in the Super Bowl, there's 9,999 where the Patriots lose, and everyone's like, hey, you probably could have used Jamie Collins in that Super Bowl. Right,
0: right, exactly, exactly. But also, no one cares because Bill Belichick. But no one cares because they won. All right, (laughs) let's move on very quickly to the best quarterback in the history of football, Mr. Drew Locke. It is a shame Mays is having technical difficulties. Mays is a, because of his collegiate affiliation, University of Missouri, he is a Drew Lock stan. This is very emotional for him. Megan Schuster, one of our ace editors at the Ringer, is also a Drew Lock stan from, from her Mizzou days. And I think this is a, a very important moment for both of them. However, it's a much bigger moment for Mr. John Elway, who gets a temporary reprieve from us dunking on his quarterback evaluation. What do you see from Drew Lock today? What do you think about the Broncos?
1: Uh, apparently, it's much easier to pass on
0: the Houston Texans than Vanderbilt. That's what I learned. There you go. So the Houston Texans just did not show up for this game. That was unbelievable. John McClain from the B writer from the Houston Chronicle basically said they need to apologize for the performance because it was really funny. I, I I made a joke about their performance, and a lot of Patriots fans and some Patriots media were joking about how this was a Super Bowl hangover for them because that was such an emotional <laughs> win for them. And I thought about it. It's actually kind of funny that, that they had that. I, I Listen, there's a lot of reasons teams have emotional letdowns, and let's not blame it all on that. But that was a very, very strange performance from the Houston Texans in a week where you knew that either the two or the three seed was going to lose. You can make up ground in the AFC as long as you beat the Denver Broncos and Drew Locke and they couldn't do it. Vic Fangio... Looks like a good coach right now, man. Drew Locke, I don't know how sustainable this is, but I know right now that the Denver Broncos look like a much better team than they did six weeks ago.
1: Drew Locke, I mean, I feel like he's just the forgotten guy of this draft class because Daniel Jones. He I mean, dropped. Also, I mean,
0: he wasn't this time last year. We used to talk about him as a potential high pick, and he just kept dropping and dropping and dropping.
1: I do want to point out as a Giants fan here that Daniel Jones is uh rookie debut where first two games were far yeah, better that's and far why we ecstatic we're, we're, than
0: this we all as media members we all have to kind of we're all suspended from making snap judgments on rookie quarterbacks for a so while
1: let me be I the mean, first to point out that the 48 yard pass that he threw to noah Fant uh was about three inches from being a pick six and that sometimes this being a game of inches is very literal yeah and that If only the Texans hadn't showed up dressed like dodgeball linebackers, maybe they would have gotten their hands in some
0: balls. So, so, uh, Drew Locke, I think Von Miller called him a bleeping rock star. I mean, this is a real, this is a real feeling around here. I don't, don't give me with your, it was almost picked off thing. Drew Locke is a winner. Here's the deal in in all seriousness, the problem with, with rookie quarterbacks is we have so much evidence that like a three, four, five-game sample, this can be thrown out so easily. Baker Mayfield set the rookie pass record last year, and this time this time last year he looked like a franchise quarterback, and now he looks like none of us can make a real determination. In January of last year, Lamar Jackson against the Chargers did not look like a future MVP candidate. We're wrong all the time on both directions, so I just want to see a little more of Drew Locke, but this is, this is a good start.
1: I'll say this, John Elway catches a lot of heat, rightfully so, for like their inability to just want they're just all they've been doing is wandering through the quarterback desert, unable to find mm-hmm. one. With the exception of like Garrett Bowles, who's like kind of a like kind of a whiff at left tackle. The Broncos quietly have a lot of really young talent that's very cheap. Uh, Philip Lindsay, Cortland Sutton is fantastic this year. Justin Simmons at safety is one of the better like breakout players of the year. I think he's the second highest rated safety on PFF. Um, they have a lot of talent at tight end i mean most of them have been injured other than noah Fant, but noah Fant's really great jeff you i can't i don't know how to pronounce his last name there's like Ehrman, three years but they actually have a lot of talent on that team and all of them very young contracts uh if Locke is good there's actually a lot of talent there to actually become a good offense if they become that kind of team
0: yeah i agree i listen this is if if you were to take the team six weeks ago and and you would show me this and say, this is the absolute best case scenario. I don't, I'm not ready to, to start hyping up the Broncos as 2020 sleepers or whatever, but this is as good as it could have been relative to what it was a couple of weeks ago. Okay, let's start with stock down. Boy, the Seattle Seahawks. You can react anytime. Is that our moment of silence hits. for peak? No, 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 it was, not, it was not. It was not. It was let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks who had a just unbelievably weird game. Well, you're the one who's point out that the Seahawks have literally never had a not weird game. They have not had weird. They have not had a normal game in the history of their franchise. You were uh, talking earlier about Sean McVay. Uh, why don't you want to hit us with that?
1: What really impressed me about this Rams win was that when they were just blown out of the water, like detonated two weeks ago against the Baltimore Ravens. They, I mean, that was. I think it was among the most complete dismantling of another football team I've seen at literally any level, including high school. Like. The Ravens scored a touchdown in the first six possessions. Mm-hmm. Six, dis- six possessions, six touchdowns, and they allowed six points to the Rams in the whole game. It's it, that's as demoralizing as it gets. And Sean McVay basically said after the game in the post game press conference, he's like, "Look, we were humbled. That sucks, but we're not going to let the Ravens beat us twice. We're just going to move on from this as quickly as possible, and we're going to start preparing for next week." Everyone can say that, right? Like everyone can say, "Well, they, we're not going to affect this." But actually doing it is yeah. so much harder, like actually not let, like who knows why the Texans lost, but maybe they let the Patriots win bleed in like y- you never know why. But the Rams actually went out. They beat the Cardinals 34 seven. They handed Kyler Murray literally the worst loss of his life because he never lost really in college or high school. And then they just dismantled the Cardinals. And even I thought that that was kind of like, all right, look, that's more the Cardinals defense being bad than the Rams offense being back. Their line's still not great. And then they come out and they do this to the Seahawks. And it's like, you know what? No, this offense is back. Like, I think that, look, the Sean McVay magic is a gone. It's not magic. It's hard. It's it. I, I, so much of it was their offensive line collapsed, right? They, I mean, they had Austin yeah. Blythe and they had, I mean, they traded for Austin Corbett. They had so many injuries. Brian Allen at center, Joseph boom. they were among the lowest rated guys in PFF. They have, a combination of gotten a little bit healthier, and they've kind of had some stability now. They traded for Austin Corbett from the Browns, who was the number thirty three pick in twenty eighteen. They actually have some like some stability in the line, and without exaggeration, like offense, especially Sean McVay's offense, quite literally revolves around the offensive line. And this is what we're seeing now with like this offense is back because their blocking is kind of back, and Robert Woods has four consecutive games of 90 plus receiving yards. Tyler Higby is getting involved now. Tyler Higby, I think, has 20% of his career pa- uh, receiving yards or like the last two games. Like, they're getting a lot of people involved. But really, I think it's just Jared Goff is not great under pressure and he's not getting pressured nearly as much and they're getting the running game going. Todd Gurley isn't
0: fully Todd Gurley back. But this is what happens when you can block. Amazing things happen. Yep. So this was the first time since and 43 games that the Seahawks had not scored an offensive touchdown. I mean, this is... That was a very strange performance from the Seattle Seahawks. And I think that Danny Kelly is more equipped to talk about this. I think he has a whole lot of emotion about the 2019 Seattle Seahawks. But I think that to lay this kind of egg on a day where San Francisco looks like legitimate, maybe the top NFC contender, I think that... Listen, I'm not going to be... I'm not going to say any races over or anything like that, but I don't think that the Niners would have done that on Sunday Night Football. I think that they would have dismantled this Rams team, which, again, just got absolutely embarrassed by the Ravens a couple of weeks ago. So it's the NFC West race is really, really fascinating to me because I think there's so much talent. There's so many good coaches. But I definitely have a favorite right now, and I didn't have a favorite at 9 a.m. this morning. So I think that's really interesting to me. Um, you know, look, the, the I mean, Rams... Like the Seahawks'
1: point differential is plus 20.
0: Yeah. 49ers point differentials plus 168. Yep, exactly. And that's all you need to know about how these teams have, have gone about their season. But I think that from my perspective, the Rams did exactly what you said. They could have just shut it down. Uh you know, Bill and I made fun of of the Rams on on our the Built Friday pod. And I think that there was a feeling That they could have just packed it in because they're moving to a new stadium next year. You know, things aren't going all that well. Guess Gurley's more involved, but I mean, the whole thing seemed to be going south. And, and, you know, you you trade Jalen Ramsey, trade for Jalen Ramsey for two first round picks, go all in in the season, and all of a sudden it's going south. That's the easiest thing in the world to quit. And I've been hugely impressed by Sean McVay the last two weeks. You know, I think that we are temporarily canceling my. Uh, was once a joke take, but now is real. That he he showed some Chip Kelly like signs as far as not being able to make adjustments once his his first uh, shtick was figured out, his first scheme was figured out. And I think this is this is the performance I wanted to see from Sean McVay. So congratulations to the Rams.
1: Yeah, well, I think temporarily canceling is pausing.
0: Um, no, I like my phrase better. <laughs> All right, let's move on. The Indianapolis Colts, Jacoby Brissett. Tough one. We had so many hopes for the Colts in this podcast. We love their organization. Chris Ballard might be the, the best GM right now in the game. Frank Reich is one of the best coaches. It's been a weird year. There's been some big injuries, but you can't, you can't be 6-7, and seven and you can't lose to Jameis Winston and the Bucks.
1: I know we're talking about the Colts, but Jameis Winston threw an interception on, the first play, on his first pass of this game. Yeah which was the third time this year he's thrown an interception on his first pass of the game. King. And the Colts still lost. That's
0: King. That's King stuff.
1: Yeah, this is a brutal loss.
0: I do want to say this. I I, I want to go back to it because I forgot to say it in my notes. Robert Woods might be the uh, most valuable player in football, apparently. This is like the Earl Thomas Lane Johnson thing where just his existence just changed the entire way the the Rams moved the football. Anyway, that's all I want to say. Well, in Danice, we
1: don't call him Robert Woods. We call him Bobby Trees. Okay.
0: We call call him Bobby Trees here then. Okay. All right. So let's go back to the Colts. So yeah, devastating loss. I mean, this team should be like eight and four entering this week
1: because Adam Vinatieri misses kicks like, but it's disappointing because it's beyond the Adam Vinatieri being bad to just this team is just actually pretty under really underperformed this year. And it's upsetting to watch. Like it's the Colts fans are rightfully miserable
0: because now hold hold on. they 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 lost their quarterback to retirement in August, and they, obviously Andrew Luck was clearly not going to be healthy and ready to play and be Andrew Luck for the 2019 season, but there was a pretty low, I feel like it was only people who had a a, a pretty in-depth appreciation for who the Colts were and what they could accomplish who had real expectations for this team.
1: Yeah, but I don't think anyone on the Colts team, or even a large portion of their fan base, is like, well, you know, luck was out, so we're fine. They really, no, oh no, no, I, like, know what they've you're been saying. Great. I know what you're
0: saying. No, 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 I, I know what you're saying. I'm just saying, if you were to say if they end up going eight and eight or nine and seven, and you're looking at it from a preseason perspective, I think that that sounds about right. From I the preseason,
1: yes, yes. But
0: here's the thing: last year's Colts
1: started one and five. This year's Colts started four and two. Yeah. So a month into the season, that was like completely over because. They're like, holy crap, this is a team that is in better position than last year, and everyone on the team is, like, older and also kind of healthier. Malik yeah. Hooker, their star safety, he was healthy entering the season for the first time in forever. Like, they had a lot going for them that was really great. They had um, Kimoko Ture was one of the best defensive ends in the whole year, and then he gets injured midseason. Justin Houston is, I don't want to say revelation, but he was certainly revelation against the Chiefs in that game, like, was the MVP of that. They beat the Chiefs on Sunday night football in week five to go f- to start three and two. Then they beat the Texans yep. to go four and two. They beat the Broncos. And then it just goes completely south. They lose to like the Mason Rudolph Steelers. They lose to the freaking do- the dolphins. Yeah. Like, the way that this was done so, was pull your hair out of I your agree. scalp.
0: We, we are in agreement on that. And one of the things you give up 456 passing yards to Jameis Winston, 542 total yards. That's a massive disappointment. But what I was saying, and Mike and Evans was hurt for a lot Mike of this Evans game was too. Hurt, that's correct. But what I'm saying, the point I'm making here is that I am not putting the Colts in this category with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns who just fell on their faces this season and should be made fun of uh, without reservation. Those those two teams are my all flop teams and the Colts, in my opinion, despite having a disappointing season from the expectations that I had for the team, I think Robert picked them to make the playoffs. I picked them to be competitive for the playoffs. Um, I think that they are a a different category of disappointment. I actually
1: disagree with you there. And here's why I think that the Browns and the Eagles are more like they're more expectations versus what happened. But it's more like what we thought they would be. Mm -hmm. But those teams, like, the Eagles had a lot of injuries this year. I know that's not really, like, a fun way to be like, well, you know, this happened. But Lane Johnson's not hurt. Uh, Deshaun Jackson had a great week one. And as much as people kind of disparage him, like, the vertical threat has always been key to the Doug Peterson offense. And Torrey Smith in 2017 was great. Haven't been able to replace the deep threat since. And that's been huge. Um, They've had a lot of injuries in, in Philadelphia. But with this Colts team, like, they've been pretty battered as the season has gone on. But, they still have been so close that I feel like it's upsetting. I guess that there are oh, injuries too in Indianapolis as they've been going, so maybe I'm wrong, but...
0: Yeah. Okay, last stock down, Mr. Josh Allen. Again, a maze favorite. He, he has some unique insight into him after speaking to him a couple of weeks ago. He did not play well. Feel, f- feel, f- feel free to confirm. It's not great. It's not great. I feel bad because I
1: feel like I've been very harsh on Josh Allen, but I mean... Coming into this week, he had thrown one interception since like the first week of October, like before Columbus Day. So this was tough, but I'm hesitant to judge because we were just talking about the Rams who were yeah. blown up by the Ravens. The Ravens blow everyone up like the very nature of playing them. It's like a tornado hits you. I can't try. I can't look. I cannot in good faith be upset with Josh Allen for being blown up like everyone has been blown up by the Ravens and everyone yeah. who, other than the Patriots who lose to the Ravens play fine
0: afterward. Yeah. We. I will say this. Robert is the one who put this on here before his technical difficulties. I am not all that disappointed with, with Josh Allen. He has a 62 rating, one touchdown, no picks today. I think that actually speaks more towards the season Josh Allen is having that we are considering today disappointment to go against a team that's going to be the one seed in the AFC and to not perform as well as, as he has in, you know, earlier the season. So I just think that It's actually a good thing that Josh Allen has these expectations because I don't think at the beginning of the year or two years ago, we would have considered Josh Allen to be the type of guy who could beat a team like the Baltimore Ravens. So I, I, you know, this is these types of games happen. The Ravens have won nine in a row. They are going to clinch the one seed at some point. They have, I saw this, the Ravens set a franchise record for points in a season this week. I, yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> Their previous record was set in 2014 by Joe Flacco. I mean, so listen, these things happen. Uh, did anything else jump out at you besides Travis White reading the, the Ravens playbook on, on the field as it blew through the wind? Travis
1: White should have been reading how Lamar Jackson's going to break Michael Vick's single season rushing record for a quarterback by like 200
0: yards. Let me ask you a question about this. If the Bills were able to look at some of the Ravens plays, if it wasn't just a joke, I still think they that Lamar Jackson could make things happen. I think there's, yeah, no, because
1: you would be like you'd be like, uh, am I holding this upside down or not? Like, no, honestly, it wouldn't matter because it's a a lot of the Ravens' best stuff is Reed stuff. You know, yeah. it's like they're, <laughs> Without that's a the that's the of it. It's like the the league and RPOs.
0: I think between Mahomes and Jackson are the two players I think who, if you actually had the opposing team's playbook, it would not, it would matter, but it would matter less than every other quarterback because there's a no defense for a perfectly thrown pass and that's that's Mahomes as much as anybody and then there's just sometimes you just can't beat Lamar Jackson when he wants to make you look silly Mahomes you're actually factually correct on that Josh Hermsmeyer at 538
1: just wrote about how Mahomes uh his out of pocket off schedule throwing once the play breaks
0: down is like incredible
1: like 90 plus QBR there you go I didn't even see that
0: I didn't even see that but I'm glad that this theory I just made up is confirmed by science
1: you know what that is there you go there is science i'm not a scientist but josh hermos hermsmeyer is a scientist
0: all right challenge flags we're just going to get to this quickly baker mayfield Odell Beckham, all sorts of weirdness on Sunday. So if you didn't see the story, Jay Glazer has the report. Jay Glazer is one of the best reporters in this business. He says that Odell, not happy in Cleveland, he's telling opposing coaches to come get me. Then there's a report that Odell is playing through sports hernia, and then Baker Mayfield says the team's medical staff didn't handle Beckham's uh, injury correctly, and that he should have had surgery in training camp but they missed the first two games of the season. This is not good. There's almost there's almost no second layer of analysis there except to say this is going to take this could take a turn into something even in an already disappointing Cleveland season that I didn't expect.
1: This was one of those things where I saw
0: Baker's apology tweets before I saw what he had to apologize yeah. for
1: and I as I was reading them I was like what what happened and I go back and I see the press conference and it's like look Everything Baker has kind of been in trouble for—it's the same thing. It's like not—I don't like to use the word. Baker's had to apologize for is passion. Like he's a passionate guy and he's fiery and you know he, he speaks his mind. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to like another person's medical stuff, that's just something he should know not to talk about, and he apologized for it. well and They'll move on. It, uh, It's tough. Look, look, this is having said that this is one of the reasons people love him when they're on his team, because at the core of it, he's standing up for one of his teammates that he cares about. And that is why people like him.
0: I don't, it's, it's a little early for me to say anything either way, except to say that this could get, this could get ugly. And this is again, even, even in a very bad Cleveland season that this could take a turn. Um, and so, well, I, I, I hate to say we'll see what happens because that's just a terrible out. But in this case, we'll see what happens. All right. Anything else, Danny Heifetz? Uh, I think George Kittle should be the logo for the NFL. Do you agree with me? You're I do know. You already said that. I know, but do you agree with me? I think that the logo of the league should be Ryan Tannehill inking in a, uh, a two-year, $50 million extension. Hey, uh, tell us about the Dynasty podcast. When's it coming out? What are you guys going to focus on this week?
1: fantasy football check us out we'll be coming out monday night tuesday morning whenever we get that puppy up because a lot of a lot of people got hurt today mike evans deandre hopkins dwayne haskins um a lot of people unfortunately josh allen's a little banked up patrick romans hurt his hand so we're going to be running darius is going to be running through a lot of injury placements
0: for the fantasy playoffs so check us out with danny kelly and mr craig check out the dancy podcast danny habits thank you so much we will be back this week with another podcast. Thank you for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. This holiday season, immerse yourself in all your favorite holiday classics with a new home theater system from Sonos. We have it in our house. We listen to music on it all the time. We listen to movies. It works for every single genre of film. It's it's a perfect addition to any home theater setup. So go to Sonos.com to learn more and complete your holiday shopping.